Crip Camp, now on Netflix, documents the roots of the disability rights movement. It won the Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival, and now it's also the name of a virtual camp. Directors Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan join us today on a valid podcast. Jim went to what was officially called Camp Gen Ed as a teenager, and Nicole was a documentary director and producer. I'm Jennifer Shveta Jordan, and leading our discussion are disability activist and online crip camper, Elisa Grishman. Rachel Callum Whitman is also here. She teaches disability studies at Duquesne University, and she is the author of the new memoir, Instability in Six Colors, about bipolar, about shacking up with bipolar disorder. Shacking up with it, exactly. Okay, uh, Lisa, would you like to take it away? Yeah, well, first of all, Jim and Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Um, as always, we like to start off our show by asking, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. It, uh, it's certainly, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I've, uh, I've got a, I'm just, I'm doing fine. I've got a place to stay. I've got food in the fridge and my lovely wife who just came home. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful. Well, Nicole, I'm going to start with a question for you. You were not a Crip camper back in the 70s. How much, if anything, did you know about disability rights before you embarked on this amazing documentary with Jim? Well, I didn't really know very much about disability rights. I had had a lot of um, uh, encounters with disability in my life. I, um, I grew up uh, with my grandmother in the house and she had been a wheelchair user since she was 30. And that was in the 70s. Um, and I, interestingly though, you know, I never saw any of the frustrations or, you know, all the things that you see people dealing with in the film she was dealing with and my family was dealing with in terms of lack of access, et cetera. But I never saw that as a civil rights issue. And I was very ignorant of the history of the disability rights movement. Then, you know, as I moved to Berkeley and, um, and San Francisco and started developing my career in documentary, I started to hear little bits here and there about the movement um, and about the Berkeley history, but I didn't, it didn't really crystallize for me. And when, um, Jim and I uh, worked together for 15 years um, before starting this project. And Jim is like a legendary sound designer and um, it, for documentary film. And I was lucky enough to have him be the sound designer and mixer on my three previous films. And over time, Jim started telling me more and more and more about his own efforts as an activist and advocate in the film industry to fight for better representation of people with disabilities and for better access for filmmakers uh, with disabilities. And I became really interested in that. Um, and when Jim started telling me about Jeanette and about its tie, what his theory that there was a tie between Camp Jeanette and its experience of liberation and the movement that came later, um, I had that kind of like moment that you have sometimes as a filmmaker when you find a story that you think you suddenly think oh my god the world needs to know this the world needs to see this and kind of feel it you know um and so for me the whole the whole journey you know co-directing the film with jim um you know getting to have such an intimate um look at the lived experience of disability and also um getting to know and 
form friendships and relationships with other people in the community and getting to eventually become an ally has just been, you know, it's, it's expanded my, my life and my worldview in, in incredible ways. Well, thank you. So something that I absolutely love about the film is the mutual aid that we see, you know, mm -hmm. people with disabilities helping people with disabilities. You know, we are the helpers rather than just the helped. Uh, you have, you know, young Judy Human, which uh, for people unfamiliar, she's a polio survivor who went on to become one of the biggest badasses in the disability rights movement, kind of the mastermind before, uh, behind the 504 sittings and whatnot. Um, you know, we see her even in the movie leading a whole bunch of group decisions about meals and, and whatnot. So you can tell from early on that she's going to be amazing. You know, what, what, what do you think, Jim, you know, how did the camp counselors, the camp experience, especially the fact that they were giant hippies and whatnot, um, how did they help encourage mutual aid and, and the like? Well, I, I mean, I think that the whole kind of, uh, you know, ethos of the camp was just, don't treat us like something special. I mean, obviously, we all had different needs that needed to be taken into consideration, but that we should be treated as, as young adults, as teenagers. And, and that was the important experience for us to have. Certain amount of that then kind of comes along with making your own decisions about things. And I, I love that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just, there's a part of the movie where documentary where people are just like sitting in a circle, hanging out, and one of the individuals is like, I really like the counselors here because they're not babysitters. And I just like love, I like internalized that. I was like, that is powerful. That's how we have to move forward. I thought that was terrific. I mean, I came from a very kind of straight camp before I came to Camp Jeanette. I, I had heard about Camp Jeanette during the summer of 69 when a bunch of people from that camp were going to my camp. Uh, because the dining room had burned down during the wintertime, so there's no camp. And I'm hearing about this camp where, like, you know, the, you sleep in bunks, not in dorms. The counselors sleep in the same bunk with you. And then the whole kind of, like, you know, you might be able to, you know, smoke weed with the counselors. And I'm, <laughs> you know, you... you Clutching my pearls. Sound, sound, yeah, sounded like my kind of place. And... Uh, <laughs> So, and unfortunately, I uh, said, you know, Dad, I heard about this other summer camp I'd like to try next year. Sure, son. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. For people listening who are unfamiliar, these um, 504 hearings happened in the 1980s. Uh, and it was kind of a precursor to the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was the, I'm going to say it wrong, but the, um, it was the uh, Rehabilitation Act was what it was called. And Section 504 specifically dealt with uh, services for people with disabilities and Congress, certain members of Congress wanted to leave it out. And we had... A lot in the documentary we saw a lot of the powerhouses of the disability rights movement were former campers 
And now they were camping out essentially in a uh, set of buildings across the country. How do you feel that your camp experience led you and your fellow campers to fighting like that? Two words, Judy Human. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Judy um, was, as you see, in the film with her trying to figure out what we're gonna have on the cook's day off. Um, she has always been that kind of person and is to this day. And for me and a lot of other folks, um, you know, she showed us that there was, uh, certainly me as a 15 year old could see that there was somebody that actually was fighting back and prevailed in a lawsuit to get her teaching position. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, and plus she's just been always that kind of dynamic of a, of a person. So, you know, when Judy came out to Berkeley, there was a bunch of us that were in touch with her and it was kind of like a no brainer for a lot of folks because, you know, Berkeley didn't have the snow that we had in New York and things were more accessible. And there was the Center for Independent Living, which would really help you move into town and, you know, provide you the services you need to land and uh, find a place to live. And now you guys are doing a virtual crip camp, which I was uh, part of that first webinar and it was outstanding. Um, it was on intersectionality and there was a wonderful mm -hmm. array of people, including Haben Gurma, who is the first deafblind woman to graduate Harvard Law School. And I have a t-shirt with her on it. So <laughs> it was, it blew my mind to be on this call. Um, what gave you the idea for the virtual crip camp? Well, you know, um, it actually wasn't um, our idea. We, um, we had the good fortune um, of being able to hire um, a couple of extraordinary, visionary, advocate, activist, um, trailblazers um, to design and lead um, our impact campaign. And, um, and it's Stacy Park and Andrea Levant. And, um, and originally the idea, we, we did think, you know, um, prior to engaging them, you know, we, we, we did a lot of a big brain trust with a lot of different leaders and activists from, you know, all different communities all across the country and asked sort of like, what do you think is needed and what could, what could this film most usefully serve as sort of a launching pad for in the movement? And we sort of thought people might say, get out the vote or, you know, support this particular piece of legislation. But what people said is there's still really a need um, for spaces where people can come together in community. And there's a need to bring more people into the community and encourage them to identify and, and kind of find those people. And that that can happen in physical space and, you know, is often, you know, can best happen online. And so when the pandemic happened, um, what had been conceived of as sort of a series of in-person gatherings and online gatherings kind of morphed into this brilliant idea they had of doing a um, kind of a virtual gathering every Sunday for 16 weeks. And I must say that like, you know, I, I shouldn't have been surprised because the thing I learned from making the film is that disability activists like dream big and and do things that um you know <laughs> like might might seem impossible but when when we first heard like you know 
16 sessions and you're going to reach a thousand people, you know, over the summer, it was like, do you really think that that can be organized and put together? And lo and behold, it's been put together and organized just incredibly powerfully and well. And also like um, 6,500 people have registered for the virtual crypt camp. You know, so it feels very exciting for, for us because that really was our dream that this, that the film could kind of springboard, um, you know, the, the movement in some way. And so we're, we're really, really excited about the, you know, also just the ability for people to kind of do capacity building and, and learn things and all of that while we're all um, dealing with the quarantine. So it's, it's wonderful. I'm sorry, we're getting some background noise. It's like, uh, there's like a jingle jangle of a, sounds like a dog leash or something. Oh, Is that anyone? Cool. Yeah. Pardon? Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because okay. I muted everyone else. I'm like, it's still happening. I guess I should have figured no. that out. <laughs> okay. Please continue. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for that wonderful answer. And I guess my final question is, is there something that you'd like to see come from this virtual camp? You know, perhaps a whole new wave of disability activism. I can answer that with one, one word now. Yes that that the um there is really this next generation that current generation let me say not next generation this current generation is uh extraordinary people who really um have deep in their hearts this sense of taking care of each other like we saw in it or we experienced in the film and really um uh, it's it's just quite stunning, and I mean, and you know, we see it firsthand with this um, virtual summer camp and all of the different topics that were were there that are really enlightening. And I think that um, I think a lot of people, I'm still getting used to saying my generation because I still think I'm 30 or something <laughs> idiotic like that. But I think that people in the, in the disabled community. Um, of my generation really need to be hearing from the, the, the current people on the ground, people involved with disability justice, mm -hmm. and that it's, um, it's essential. It's essential uh, if we are going to protect our rights and if we're going to improve our lives, that we educate ourselves and really embrace this movement. Well, we have a, a quick audience question before I turn it over to Rachel. We have Karen is wondering if anyone of you guys have read uh, No Pity uh, by Joe Shapiro and how do you think that, you know, relates to Crip Camp and whatnot? Um, uh, kind of, well, yeah, I've read it and uh, it's one of the first books in my disability library, I think, that I started gathering years ago. And in fact, um, when we started talking with Higher Ground, the Obama's production company, Priya Swaminathan asked me if there, who's the, one of the principals there, uh, asked if there was something that she could read, and that's the book I suggested that she read. Excellent. So, yeah, I, I found that book moving beyond description. It I, was the most empowering thing I read when I first started to identify as disabled and yeah. So 
there's a great oral history book out there that's at least 300 pages long that we we also looked in and maybe i'll be able to dig it up during the course of this conversation but absolutely um no pity is a very important book also you know Rachel, holland, oh. i was just gonna say that holland a little um, who's one of the uh, people featured in the film. Um, she's the, the woman who was the photographer, um, took a lot of photographs yeah. that we used of the 504 demonstration. And she made this incredible uh, book called Becoming Real. Um, and it's about kind of from her personal perspective, it goes literally like sort of day by day by day by day through the um, sit-in. And she's collected not only photographs, but all other kinds of really amazing like you know the flyers that were put up on the wall and letters that were written in various documents and it's really was a kind of a bible for us in terms of kind of knowing what what life was like and the culture was like and everything in the building kind of day by day it's really great and i think you can order it from her website wonderful cool you can't forget judy human's book also yeah <laughs> biography just came out nice and there's also the uh a Disability History of the United States is uh, one of the books also, but there's many of them. You go to Amazon and, or any of these places and you, there's a good list of books there. This podcast is not sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> also, can I mention that Alice Wong, who uh, if yeah. anybody in the audience has not been to the Disability Visibility Project website. Awesome. Uh, really needs to follow Alice and she's got a collection of essays that are gee they're coming out within the is it right around in July Nicole do you think is that that one the book's June, I think I think it's sometime in June I think it's in June yeah that's going to be absolute must reading for mm. anybody in the, mm. in the community well Rachel so I'm a I'm an academic and I love books but that's not what I care about right now I care about going to Pound Town, the Boneyard, getting weird. I don't know what the kids are calling it these days, but a huge part of the camp, which I think is so important, is people with disabilities get horny, right? Like, and I think it was so beautiful the way the camp is just like, hey, you guys are teenagers, your hormones are raging, like, be safe, but like, go get them, tiger. And I just think that so many people um, do not understand that aspect of disability. I think the infantilization is so, so fierce with, with kind of the narrative that people who have disabilities, you know, they, they are not sexual beings. And not everybody is, you know, based on how you identify. But I thought just watching this was just great lesson. And, and I really like the part when everybody gets crabs and it's basically just people were having a little bit of a good time, maybe too good, right? And this happens, you know, this happens in dorm rooms. Like I'm t teaching my college students about this and it honestly kind of blew their minds a little bit. Um, looking at it from that perspective, the fact that, you know, when it comes to autonomy and, and sexuality, these things really do matter being able to find yourself like camps like this can you know are, are a huge part of so you know one of the questions that I had and Jim because you were there and you celebrated the first week anniversary of your relationship with Nancy that was part of the film that I loved what was it like though coming to this camp where you were a cool kid 
and you had like the opportunity to to get wild wheelchair style <laughs> what was that like though like what was that liberation like well you know it's funny uh i mean of course you got to remember that i was 15 right so everything is new to me in that regard so indeed nancy was my first girlfriend and um and really the the first person i really you know kissed and um and so i certainly it was really wonderful not to to be feeling like an outcast or like mm -hmm. the guy in the wheelchair that i was and just being jim and um and i uh, it was incredibly enjoyable and the and the camp really allowed, you know, uh, allowed us to have our moments of growing up in all sorts of ways. And Judy talks about, you know, being able to sneak out behind the bunks. And indeed, yeah. you know, this would happen. But it's, uh, but as you, you know, you talk about it, it's so important. There were, um, there's an untold story uh, that we heard about, about, two counselors coming up to Larry Allison, the uh, director of the camp and saying, we've got two campers in adult camp who want to have sex. Mm. And um, what was it? They simply wanted to sleep with each other. They wanted to have sex. And Larry says, well, what are you, what are you asking me? <laughs> At first was his response, but in <laughs> essence, it's like, you know, they are adults. And that, um, and so I, I, I'm sorry that I'm just a little bit hazy on the, the exact story here, but I know that they were able to spend the night together. And whether it was sex or not is really kind of immaterial to the fact that that was the kind of environment we had there. And just the opportunities for intimacy. I mean, as partners, as friends, getting, you know, building relationships with the counselors. And so, Nicole, I had a question. When you were working on this project, were you kind of like taken back a little bit about kind of the, the role that sexual identity and sexual activity played? Or you were just like, this makes sense. I have kids. <laughs> No, I mean, I wasn't taken aback because it was front loaded for me by our friend Jim, but like in, literally in our first conversation about the, about the camp, he, he was like, it was wild. It was where we could get it on. It was like where we had makeout sessions. It was, you know, and, and Jim said like in our very first conversation, like this would be a really important thing to show, you know, I mean, all the things that are in the film, you know, the sort of idea of a hierarchy of disability, the idea of, um, mm you know, kind of um, Jim's feeling that he might have struggled to sort of pass and in so doing, you know, was disacknowledging a, a part of who he was. All of those things were things that came from either you came, Jim came into the project saying like, this is super important. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to try to get this across or were like sort of realizations and kind of having conversation and, um, you know, looking at the footage and exploring the topic on, on, on Jim's part. And so that was really intentional from the beginning. What, what struck me though, was just how, how totally delightful that place was. Like the minute we got the footage for the first time, we start, we sat down to watch it and, 
you know, usually looking at raw footage is honestly kind of boring and you're kind of like zone out and you take some notes and then all of a sudden something happens. And you're <laughs> but with this raw footage, it was like, we just watched it and watched, it was like watching a mini series. And after like two and a half or three hours, I turned to Jim and said like, I think I could just keep watching this for like 10 hours. <laughs> it was like, well, I could too, but I didn't even know these people, you know, but there's just like this, um, I think the joy that springs from a community where people are really free from, from judgment and stigma mm. is so profound that you just like, you just want to like dive in and, and enjoy it and be a part of it. And there was a really great little moment um, when we were looking at the footage where Jim was like, wait a minute, rewind that. I want to look at that. It was a shot of him kind of zooming by in his chair, looking like a Marlon Brando. And, uh, and then he backs the footage up and he's like, yep, yep. And like, basically you could see that there was a big hickey on his neck. So um, <laughs> it was just the most, it was, you know, it was the most fun project to work on. I've worked on a lot of, you know, tough documentaries, sad documentaries, serious mm -hmm. documentaries. This documentary was just like, uh, honestly, it was like, uh, I, obviously there's tough things in it and, yeah. and serious things in it, but it was, um, it was a joy, you know? And I, I just had one other question I kind of wanted to float to you guys. Again, I teach at a, at a local college, psychology students, um, and my specialty is disability studies. And a huge thing we talk about is disability erasure which is this idea that when I have my students, I'm, does anybody know about the section 544 riots? Does anybody know about disability and accessibility? And a lot of them just don't. They've never had this education. And so I think one of the things I really love about Crip Camp is you're getting an audience that might not, there will be able-bodied people watching this. There'll be people with disabilities watching this. So it's like that kind of representation is so great. But why do you think that there has been such a history of erasing disability from our history? Because that always happens. We like compartmentalize and we're like, oh, you could have a disability studies minor. But it's like, no, no, this is all of our history. So I don't know if you just have like a thought about maybe why we have this really terrible pattern of doing that. I think this is something that we've really been questioning as We've been trying to find material in archives, mm. and so much of it has been, um, you know, there's libraries that have so, so many holdings and they haven't really completely cataloged or digitized mm. material. And I, I mean, people don't, I just think so many people don't understand the concept of disability as community yeah. or, as, or as culture. And, you know, what do you mean your, your history? And, you know, isn't this something that's unfortunate? Why would you, mm. I, mean, I think that's part of it. But Nicole, what do you think? Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, when we took the film to Sundance, we open, we were the opening night film at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, and we played in a 1700 person theater. And um, it was incredibly exciting. The energy was just huge and there was, a standing mm -hmm. ovation for the film. And then there was a standing ovation for Judy, her just for being Judy. And it just went on, you know, forever. Um, and it really felt like, you know, this um, momentous historical moment where the history was being, you know, not just like in an academic book or, you know, it, as 
it was it was being seen as like having cultural importance on that kind of big of a stage but then came this wave of people sort of saying like like um why didn't i know this why didn't anyone ever tell me this why didn't anyone ever teach me this and um and that was coming from the audience during the q a after the film and and Judy said, well, I don't know. She said, this is the Sundance Film Festival. This is a, a, a room full of entertainment uh, folks and, and progressives. Like, why don't you know? You know, why don't you ask yourselves that question? And um, and I, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I think the most people almost treat the ADA like it's something that, um, you know, non-disabled people got generous enough to grant mm -hmm. disabled people, not something that there was an entire movement yeah. that fought for tooth and nail. And, and I think that's just a disempowering um, way to look at it and disappearing it, um, you know, means you don't have to deal with it, right? You don't, and you yeah. don't have to enforce it and you don't have to consider it. And so, um, yeah, it's like over time, I think just, it was funny, like it wasn't the thing that we were the most angry about while we were making the film, because there's so many things in our current day life that were constantly yeah. making us angry. But the, but as now that the film is out in the world and we just keep getting that response, I think our kind of, or at least for me, like my, I, I, I am becoming increasingly indignant about the people who chose not to, not to ever put that in textbooks or yeah. make it, make it a kind of major part of American history. And one of our you know, we had like a couple of major goals um, in setting out on the project that we identified, and one was to shift perception. Um, and the other one was to to make this a story that would be, you know, held by all Americans as like a central mm -hmm. part of our the history of our civil rights story. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, now is the point in our show where we ask our audience for any questions. No one is required, of course, to ask a question, but I will state the name of each person on the call. If you don't have a question, please just unmute yourself and say pass. So I'll start with James. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I enjoyed listening to you talking about Crip Camp, and I wanted to note, uh, like how could like we get more involved with your project? Um, Did Jim just freeze? No, I, yeah, I, that was my question. Uh, well, I, I think Jim's computer just froze. So um, there is a virtual Crip Camp. If you go to the website, I think it's cripcamp.org, uh, you can find more information about the virtual Crip Camp. Uh, yeah. And then we have, um, sorry, Nicole? Crip Camp, sorry, it's cripcamp.com. Uh, dot com, thank you. So if you go to cripcamp.com, there's more information about virtual Crip Camp. Uh, do we have an iPhone user? Uh, I'm going to guess this is a pass. Um, so I do have a wonderful comment here from Paulo Hanlon, who says, as an oldster, I was reminded about life without communication devices. It was part of our culture to listen carefully. The powerful person who, uh, the powerful person was who under could understand the communication challenged. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a, a wonderful sentiment to uh, end up on. So 
Everyone should watch this documentary. I'm not being paid to say that. It is incredible. You will cry and you will laugh and then you have to share it with somebody else because it can't end with you. So again, so like a chain letter. It's like a chain letter, but not a It is. Don't I watched don't it with it my roommate. Yeah. I watched it with my roommate and we were both just in absolute, you know, yeah. knuckles in mouth oh, the whole oh, time. I, I love felt it. so empowered. <laughs> it is so. available on Netflix. Oh. Um, thank you so much to our guests, Jim Labreck and Nicole Noonan. We're so glad we, that you were able to join us. Thank really? you. You really, uh, you folks really lifted my spirits today. Aww. So Aww. We all can use a win. So yes. good, good job, everybody. Go. Jim <laughs> and Jim and Nicole are the directors of Crip Camp. Uh, thanks. Sorry. Um, I'm Jennifer Shveta Jordan. I'm with Elisa Grishman, Nick Tomarello, and Rachel Callum Whitman. A Valid Podcast is produced by Unabridged Press and created with support from the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University and with funding from the FISA Foundation. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, unabridgedpress.com, wherever you're listening. We hope you'll leave your feedback in a rating. And as always, be gentle with yourselves. This podcast was produced in partnership with the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. 